A lot of truth in that song. Amen. Amen. Well, it's good to see you all tonight. Thank you for your faithfulness. And uh, I'd like you, uh, I, I, of course, every time we get up to preach, we want to be a blessing. And I just want to say to Brother Roger, thank you, brother, for the opportunity to be in the pulpit tonight. I don't take that lightly, uh, nor for granted. And so I'd like you to turn your Bibles to the book of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, and uh I think I have a word that will be a help to you tonight. And, uh, you know, it is good to be saved. Amen. And, uh, and it's good to be a work that is in progress. You know, Paul said, uh, basically what he said was, I haven't arrived. And, uh, you know, I believe that Paul could sing that song, you know, he's still working on me <laughs> to make me what I ought to be. Amen. And uh, as a matter of fact, David said in Psalm 138 a long time ago, in, in verse 8, said he said, I know that the Lord will perfect that which concerneth me. And uh, he had confidence in his Father, if you will, in God, that the Lord would mature him and make him what he needed to be. Jeremiah recorded it kind of like this in his book that said, you know, he went down to the potter's house. And there he saw work on the wheel, and the potter had that clay, and I'm paraphrasing here, of course. He said, but that clay was marred in the potter's hand. And the beauty of that story is that the potter didn't throw it away. He just made it again. And, uh, and, so, and so too it is in the New Testament, we find in the book of Philippians, that the Lord said, being confident, or Paul wrote and said, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you shall perform it, until the day of Jesus Christ. And so we are still works in progress. Amen. And so I don't know what kind of week you're having. I, I don't know what kind of day you've had. And we certainly don't know what's on tomorrow. But I want to, you to be encouraged tonight that God has some tools, if you will, that He loves to use to help perfect us in the life that we are living as we do according to the will of God. And so here in chapter 4, I want to point out just a couple of them to you. Hebrews chapter 4, familiar passage of Scripture, Hebrews 4. And I want you to see that one of the tools is the Word of God. And I'm just going to, this is just a little foundation to get to where we're going. But, uh, but I want you to see that one of the tools that God uses to perfect us, to continually perfect us, is the Word of God. Look in verse 12 with me. Notice what he said, For the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Beloved, one of the things that God uses in our lives to help perfect us, if you will, to bring us on to maturity is the Word of God. And, and I have to understand something about it. Man, it is a divine Word that we have. It's not the words of, uh, uh, you know, I know it has human penmanship, but it was, it was divine authorship that we have. It's a divine Word to us. It's not the word of some senator. It's not the word of some famous uh, character out of history in the United States history or whatever. You can look at letters and things. I mean, even the Declaration of Independence. I put the word of God above all those things. Those are the words of men, but this is the word of God. And he uses it in our life to help to perfect us. You know, one of the things about it, it's living. Your Bible is alive, beloved. 
It's alive because the, the God who wrote it is alive. Amen. Live evermore. And notice what it says. It's quick. We know it's powerful. That means it's effectual in our lives if we but believe it. If we will receive it the way that God gives it and don't change it, don't try to water it down, don't, uh, don't, don't, don't try to, uh, if you will, create a euphemism for a word that you don't like. In other words, for it to have a softer blow. No, we need it to be like that sharpened scalpel if it's going to get down there and get the job done and show us where we are. You know, one of the things about that word, we, ought, we, we need to let it criticize us. Our plans, our projects. We need to let it, we need to let it criticize our opinions. You know, one of the things about us, you know, before we got saved, we needed to have our minds renewed. But my thinking wasn't right about some things. I don't know about yours, but mine wasn't right. And every now and then mine still gets kind of messed up in the world in which we live. I let something distract me or get under, get a burr in my saddle or whatever, and I have to have the Word of God to help me to get that straightened out that I get back on the straight and narrow. We need that Bible to be piercing, to be cutting, if you will. And notice how it puts it. It says it's it's sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow. I mean, it's getting down there where it's getting down to the very nature of things on the inside of us. And beloved, you, don't, you and I, we don't need a whitewashing word. We don't need a shellacking word that just covers over our things. We need something that pinpoints exactly what our problem is or where we can rejoice and have hope. And we need that kind of Bible. And you have that tonight. It's a revealing word. It's a discerning word. You know, what did David say in Psalm 19? He said, the law of the Lord is what? It's perfect. Man, that's the only way. And what it'll do? It'll convert your soul. And it's an enlightening word. It gives us illumination to see where we are. Now, I know I'm preaching to the choir tonight. I'm just saying it's a tool that God wants to use in your life. Don't let someone take it away from you. Don't let, don't let what you hear, you know, in the society in which we live, the times in which you live, to, to persuade you or dissuade you away from your Bible. Don't let the opinions of some man, some lost man, some, maybe even some intelligent man to take you away from the simple truths that are found in the Word of God. So this is a tool that God has given to us. Then look, I want you to see, look in verse 13. There's much more that could be said about verse 12, but that's not where I'm trying to get to. Look at verse 13. Notice what it says, Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open under the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Just like his word, so is the author. Just like nothing is hidden from your Bible, nothing is hidden from our Heavenly Father, beloved, as He looks upon our lives to discern our thoughts, uh, to, to discern our intents of our heart, our minds. He's aware of all those things. David found a comfort in that. Do you remember what it says in Psalm 139? You don't have to turn there, but he says, O Lord, Thou hast searched me and known me. There wasn't anything that David could hide from God. When he got involved with Bathsheba and so forth and all that mess, God knew all about that. There was nothing hidden. No matter what David tried to cover up, no matter how he schemed, God was very much aware of that. This is one of the things that the Lord uses, and we need to be aware of that, that nothing is hid from him with whom we have to do. 
It's something that you and I should keep in the back of our minds. It is a part of that God consciousness that He wants to use as a tool to help us in our walk. You know, sometimes people feel like they do things because they're going to get away with it. Man, the prisons are full of people that thought they were going to get away with it, thought they had a better idea, they could beat the system. And you know, you, you, I mean, you can get away with some things down here, but you're never going to get away from, if you will, the all-seeing eye of our God. Amen. Our Heavenly Father, the Scripture says that His eyes are over the righteous and His ears are open unto their prayers. He sees where we go, what we say, what we do. He sees those things. David, I think David took comfort in the fact that no matter where he went, God was there. No matter where he was, the Lord knows. He said, Thou knowest my downsitting, my uprising. Thou understandest my thoughts afar off. In other words, God knows more about us, beloved, than we will, I think, in this life than we will ever know about ourselves. He knows it all. He's given us a book to reveal it all, and he knows us all. And so we are this work in progress. And so what happens when you and I, that we see that we have an issue, that we have something that needed, needs attention? I thank God for this, which is where I want to go. I thank you, brother. And you, and you mentioned it in your prayer that we do have a throne of grace, brother, and that we have a high priest tonight who is there to help us with our situation. Look at this. Look in verse 14. And this is where I want to go tonight. I pray that it will be a comfort to you. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. In its context, these believers in Hebrews, they were, they were thinking about withdrawing and some needed to go on and they were sort of hesitating. He didn't want them to do that. He wants them to move forward. And He wants you and I to keep moving forward. Beloved, the Scripture says that you and I were to walk by faith and not by sight. Walking implies that I'm upright. I mean, you can't sit and walk at the same time. Walking, if you're going to walk, you're going to have to be upright. That's an indication of life. You know, what happens? I'm standing here. What is it that keeps me up? Brother Lewis would say, well, Brother Ed, it's your muscles and the bones in your body and your spinal cord, you know, your appendicular skeleton and your axial and all the, I mean, all that A and P. But you know what? But if the life goes out of me, what's going to happen to that muscle and tissue and bone? It's going to fall over. If we're going to walk by faith, that means there has to be some life on the inside. It, it involves movement. It also implies progress. And that's what God wants us to do. We walk by faith, beloved, and not by sight. So we're to hold fast to our profession in, in the light of this. Now watch, seeing then that we have a priest. Is that what it says? I mean, a priest is someone that does a, that, that ministers about the things of God. Yeah, I mean, the Lord Jesus, He's a priest. But yet, you know, He never wore the ephod. He never had the breastplate on. He never was there. He did, He actually, He never took a sacrifice. He didn't go down to the temple and kill anything like that. Yet we have a priest today who stands in our stead. He's a priest, but notice how it puts it. He said He's a high priest. That would be like the guy that went in once a year into the Holy of Holies in the Old Testament. He would take that offering in there after offering for himself then he would offer for the sins of the nation it would hold back the judgment of God for another year and they would be okay and they kind of sinned on credit if you will until the debt could be paid at Calvary but the Bible says that we have a we got a great high priest he's not just he's just not like a high priest like Caiaphas was corrupt and so forth no that's not like our savior tonight that's not like our great high priest and where did he go he never went through an earthly door down here never went through an earthly tabernacle in the sense 
of fulfilling that role. But beloved, he went into the very presence of God, into that, into that which was patterned after down here. To do what? To enjoin God with the blood that was offered that on Calvary that we might have our redemption tonight. He is a great high priest. Where did he pass into? He has passed into the heavens. Now that encourages me. You know, here's the th- here's the thing. You, you know what? I mean, there are people. I, I had the privilege. Debbie and I, we we were delegates one time to the Republican convention here in the state of Texas, and it was much to do about nothing. I will tell you that. And uh, and, and but one of the things they had kind of a meet and greet, and we got to meet Senator Kay Bailey Hutchinson and Senator John Cornyn. Senator John Cornyn is still uh, on the books. He's still one of our senators. I'm not sure exactly how he falls out on everything, but you know what? Even though we met and I had a good little discussion with him about. Marriage, don't penalize us, you know, don't don't apply that marriage act or whatever they were doing, you know, don't don't cause people to get a divorce so they'll be better off financially. Don't do that to our homes. I pled with him about that. He said he was going to look into it. And I suspect today, if I were to call him, try to call over there, get to his office, say, you know, I met I met Senator Cornyn once in a little room over in we in San Antonio, is that where we were? In San Antonio. And I said, I, I, this is Ed Tierbach, and I'd like to see him again. You know, they probably look at me, well, sir, you'll have to make an appointment. Oh, really? I mean, I didn't have to make an appointment on that day. I got to talk with him. I mean, we were inside of arm's length of each other. He doesn't remember me. I mean, that'd be pretty foolish on my part, would it not? To expect that, I, I wonder, I wonder tonight, you know, that guy over there, what is his name, Boris Johnson? Is he the, is he the Prime Minister of England? You know, there's a, probably a lot of complaints. There's been, you know, I mean, he's got worse hair than President Trump ever had. You know, have you ever seen, I mean, it's look, it looks like finger in an electric socket, really. Somebody ought to talk to him about that. That's better than wearing one of them wigs over there like they wear in England. Sorry, all you, all you British that are here, sorry. But, uh, but my point is, my point is, is that, you know, you know, that used to say that the sun never set on the empire of England, of Great Britain. You understand what that means, right? That means there was a country that belonged to them or a protectorate or someplace where they had, where they had ambassadors and soldiers and, and British citizens living somewhere around the world where it never set upon their land. And yet, you know what? I bet there were problems that even back in Queen Victoria's day and even in Boris Johnson's day to day that they are not aware of, that they don't hear. But you and I, beloved, we have an entrance. I mean, we have an entrance into the very throne room of God. Yeah, brother, what a privilege. I mean, he did that, that we could get, you know, it says, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God. And the next line there in chapter 5 says that we have access. Access into that grace. You have access. And you know, here's the, th- here's the thing that I, that I love about it. Uh, you know, what touches us touches Christ. I mean, what robs us robs Christ. He is, he is in the great nerve center, if you will, uh, of our lives. And there he is touched by, what does it say? Let's keep reading, all right? For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. It means, beloved, it means tonight that he understands something about our nature. Why? You're there in chapter 4. Go back to chapter 2 with me. Just, just flip your Bible one page. That's how it is in my Bible. 
Notice what it says. For verily, look, look at verse 16, for ver- chapter 2. For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. I mean, he took on the nature of a man, not an unsaved man, not, an, not the nature of a man with a, you know, with, a, with, a, with a fallen nature on the inside, but he took upon him the nature of a man. He understands our nature. And he's touched by those things. I mean, why else would we sing a song, What a Friend We Have in Jesus? Can you say that about any political person? Can you say that about anybody in an office that might actually have a bearing upon our lives? What a friend I have in this person or that person or that representative. No. But what a friend we have in Jesus. And He is your friend, brother and sister. He is your friend. And is touched by the feeling of our infirmities. Listen, he is sensitive to those things. He's a, you know, we sing that song, the sympathizing Jesus. Oh, hear his voice. The sympathizing Jesus. Burdens are lifted at Calvary. Why? We have a sympathizing Jesus. He's, he is sympathetic to our physical infirmities. Man, He knows our weakness. God, you know, the Scripture writes in Psalm 103 that our Father, our Heavenly Father, if you will, He remembereth that our frame it is but dust. And as a father pitieth his children, so he pitieth us that fear Him. He remembers about us. Your physical infirmities, the weaknesses that you have in your flesh. Listen, He's touched by that. He's touched by the infirmities, if you will, of your prayer life. When you're struggling in prayer, the Spirit of God is there to search the mind. I mean, He's doing all those things to help me in my infirmities, but God is touched by those things. The burdens that you bear. When you see yourself in the light of that Word, knowing that God sees everything and you have the opportunity to bring that to Him. He's touched by that. He doesn't turn His back. He did that only once upon His Son when He became sin for us. Do you understand ever since the day we got saved, it's been come unto me, come unto me, come unto me. Don't stay away. Come unto me. But we still got a lot of Adam in us. Adam had been having all that fellowship. And when he sinned, and the Lord came around just like normal, Adam, where art thou? Where art thou? And where was Adam? He was hiding. And beloved, we can't hide from him who sees everything about us. And if we go back to His Word, that Word's going to bring it out, going to show you the Holy Spirit's going to take that Word, His sword, and pierce our hearts with it till we get that settled. He, is, he sympathizes. He's touched with our physical infirmities. He's touched by, by the infirmities of, of, of our prayers. You think about it. Do we always get that right? No, we don't. But you know what? I, I kind of like to believe he's merciful enough that he can kind of get past all that stuff. That maybe our little routine or whatever, but he'll answer the one that really gets down to business. You mean would he parse those things? Yeah, I think he does. I think I think he listens to certain things that gets his attention when we're there in honesty and humility. That he's willing to work on my behalf. I I, I think he sympathizes, if you will. Sometimes with, with, sometimes 
with our poor efforts of doing what is good. You know, if nothing can separate us from the love of Christ, that's what the book says, nothing can. And so, beloved, you you make a mistake. I'm not saying that you just, well, that was no big deal. No, it was a big deal when you and I sin. It is a big deal when we cross the line with God. We should never be complacent about that. But you must understand, it's not a time to stay away. It's a time to draw nigh. It's not a time to cringe and 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 uh, and just wait for him to try to. That, that, listen, that's what Catholicism teaches. That's not the God of the Bible. That's not our Savior. That's not our great High Priest. Notice what it says. I mean, not only is he a sympathizer, but but beloved, he's sinless. For we have not an High Priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points. Tempted like as we are, what? But what? Yet without sin. Why did that happen? Why did that happen? You know, I, I think it happened for this reason. Notice what it says. Look, you're, you're right there in 4. Look in chapter 5 with me. Look in verse 6. As he saith also in another place, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications, now watch, with strong crying and tears, unto him that was able to save him from death, and was heard, and that he feared. He's writing about the Lord Jesus. And he knows what it's like to have the struggle of his will versus his father's will. He knows about that. He knows that we have to disobey ourselves many times if we're going to obey the Lord. To say no to us and yes to God. And what was his response? Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. The Lord is very much aware of those things. He is aware of that. Notice, notice, look what it says in verse 8. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. You see, the Lord Jesus had never been a man before. I'm just going to cut to the chase on something. You know, the Bible says of God that He is a spirit and desires for those to worship Him in spirit and in truth. But I'm telling you, Jesus Christ in heaven is a man. He's not a spirit. That's why He can relate to us. And that's why He intercedes for us. That's why He's an advocate for us. That's why He's a mediator, not an arbiter. An arbiter doesn't have a stake in either party. But a mediator knows something about both. He knows about the God side. And He knows about the man side. And He's able to bring the two of us together. That's never happened before. There's never been a man up there before. But there is now. We, I think we think more some, most times about the deity of Christ rather than the humanity. What He's done for us. What He wants to do for us. What He is yet going to do for us. Touched by the feeling of our infirmities. Notice what it said. And, and being made perfect, He became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey Him. In chapter 2, He says he said that, that He's able to succor them that are tempted. That means to come to our aid. He was sinless. I mean, I mean, He is tender. He was tempted. He was trained, if you will. He learned some things. 
My theology is not offended by that. You know, he learned some things, what it was to be thirsty. That had never happened before. He knew what it was to be betrayed. That had never happened before. He knew what it was to suffer hunger. That had never happened before. He knew what it was to see life come out. That had never happened before. Don't think for a minute he didn't feel the nails and the spikes and the whip. He felt every bit of that, and none of which he had ever felt before. And he never felt the separation that he had that day on Calvary before. And yet all that put together is for our behalf, not just to help us in that sin debt of our salvation, but in that everyday life in our sanctification as we try to make progress, walk by faith and not by sight. And though we stumble and make mistakes, beloved, He is there to pick us up. He is there to give us what we need. I mean, He knows about our nature and He knows about our needs. And what is that need? Man, notice what it says. Let us therefore come boldly. That's an adverb. It ends in an L-Y. I remember that from school. (laughs) An adverb can tell you quantity or quality. So how should our coming be? You know what? It ought to be, it ought to be constantly. Constantly. That we're at the throne of grace. Constantly. I mean that day by day, sometimes moment by moment, that we are there. We ought to come unrestrictedly. And there's nothing that's keeping us apart but us. The choice is ours. We're as near to Him as we desire to be. It just depends on how hungry and thirsty we are. How great we see the need. It also means freely. We ought to come to Him freely with just simple words. It's not your eloquence that's going to get God's attention. It's just that simple honesty. And that humility, he'll respond to that. And then we ought to come hopefully, right? We ought to come hopefully, man, that he's going to help me. He's going to hear my plea. He's going to hear my plight and help me with it. I mean, why, I mean, why do we go? We, we, ought to go? we ought to go to the throne of grace when we are sinful to find mercy. When we've erred, when we've strayed, when we've made a mistake. I don't care what name you put it on. When you're crosswise with him, we ought to go there and find mercy. We ought to, we ought to go to the throne when we're weak. To find help rather than stumbling on and trying in our own strength. No, beloved, that's when we need to come aside. Go to that throne of grace and say, Lord, I can't handle this. I need some help right here. I need some strengthening. I need some mercy, Father, to take this out or move me around this or whatever it might be. And we ought to come to the throne when we're tempted. And we could find grace to help in a time of need. The world, it, it, the world is getting to be such a crazy... I mean, it's been crazy. If we were to ask previous generations, they'd say, yeah, it was crazy when I was a kid in the 20s or whatever. You're, you know, but I mean, I heard today that, uh, that they're letting the guy... What is John Hinckley, I heard today that they're letting him go. He's getting a full release. And they said, you know, had, had he... Had he uh, just shot somebody else, he'd have been released a long time ago. But he didn't shoot at somebody else, he shot the president. <laughs> My opinion ought not to be out. Are you going to let Sirhan Sirhan go? 
shot Bobby Kennedy. You gonna let him go? You gonna let Squeaky Fromm grow? She took a shot. She took a shot at George uh, at uh, Gerald Ford. We gonna let her go? She's buddies with Charles Manson. We live in a world, beloved, for a long time that is called evil good and good is evil. I thank God we have a helper tonight. I thank God I have a high priest that is touched by the things that touch me and is ready to help and wants to help and loves us provided these things that we might be perfected the way that God wants us to be that, so that on the other side, you know what? We can go to the judgment seat. We can, be, we can be prepared for that. We can enjoy some things that are on the other side. I'm looking forward to that. And yet down here I have some resources, some tools that God wants to use in my life to be a blessing to me, to help me. And all He asks of us is just to come to Him. It's not a hard thing. It's not a difficult thing. It's not an unreasonable thing. You know, when you're ill, uh, you know, you've heard me say this, man, I'd rather be anywhere than the best hospital in Houston. Wouldn't you? I would. I'd rather be anywhere. But you know what? But when I need some help, by golly, I need some help. You know, I had a bad tooth one time, and I called the dentist there in Franklin, Brother Roger, and she said, well... She said, I just work on children. My husband is out doing a little rotation. And, uh, and she said, I, I just work on children. And I said, yes, ma'am. I said, but I can't wait. And I said, I wouldn't care if Bugs Bunny was the dentist. I need some relief. And, uh, and so she came and she said, okay, come in. And I came in and she talked to me. Well, yes, sir, now just lay down right here. And she, now here's a little piece of candy. I mean, she just, did, she just treated me like I was five. But she helped me. And you know when you're hurting, it doesn't matter. You don't care. And when the Lord out of love points out something in our life and reminds us who we belong to and who He is, it's one of the benefits of sonship. That we ought not be afraid to go. But we ought to run to Him. Run to Him. He'll make it right. He'll make it right. Amen. Let's stand. Father, I sure do thank you for my church family. Thank you, Lord, for the word of God and for our great high priest, for that throne of grace. Thank you, Lord, for loving on us, wanting to help us along the way, dear God, to see us make progress. I thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.